This episode is presented by Learn Worlds. Did you know that creating an income online or adding a new revenue stream to your business has never been easier? Well, that got my attention. Have you ever considered taking your knowledge, skills, and expertise and converting it into a course that you can sell online? Maybe a course on podcasting. That's come across my desk. Also had ideas about other things that my parents could teach. Rather than be a TikTok star, rather than be a social media influencer, use your skill set to teach something that you know well. Introducing Learn Worlds. Learn Worlds makes it easy to create, host, and sell beautiful online courses that have an impact. With Learn Worlds' intuitive platform and a wealth of resources to educate yourself, you're only a few steps away from building a thriving online business in the booming knowledge economy. Visit trylearnworlds.com free to start your 30-day free trial. Now stay tuned for Sports with Friends. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. We appreciate you uh, listening. We appreciate the uh, subscriptions, the downloads, the ratings, all of it. Uh, thank you so much. And we start the podcast that way because it's true. This is episode 325, and we have a real fun guest today. This is going to be one that you are going to remember. This will be a podcast that we reference in future episodes. So if you're listening to this in the future, do me a favor. Tell me how the flying car is. And uh, also just tell me what you thought of episode 325, the one with John Chandler. Uh, It is also week 10 in the National Football League. And we all have all the latest odds as we'll bring in the head odds maker at BovadaSportsbook.com, Patrick Morrow. Patrick, give us a preview. We're looking at all the NFL favorites this week and why they will all lose again. Fantastic. We will talk to you in just a short moment. Uh, When I started Sports with Friends, I had this idea that I would only talk to friends and then it turned into friends of friends and the whole Jewish geography thing. And that kind of how it morphed. But when I launched the podcast, there was a certain New York sportscaster that said I would come on. You got to have me on. I will do the podcast. Just tell me when. And Bruce Beck has never been on the podcast. Then there was an early episode of the show, and it was one of the most bizarre episodes of Sports with Friends I had ever put together. And this guy was a witness to it. And now he has morphed into not only a fantastic sportscaster on WNBC Channel 4 in New York, he is now an Emmy winner. He won a New York Emmy Award, but he was side by side with me For episode number 60, the bizarre Henry Mejia press conference. And we welcome John Chandler to Sports with Friends. It was like in a shack in Queens. And it was when he was coming out to debuke all the drug allegations, all the things. And I was standing next to you. And I remember the first words I ever said to you was, is this dude for real? (laughs) I vividly remember that now. I vividly remember that cramped uh, office. I think it was his lawyer's office or a uh, uh, we work, you know, shared space. Uh, like, I don't know. I don't his know. His lawyer's yeah, cousin's his friend. Lawyer. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Maybe and it's Cardi B's relative. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, and ultimately, that was not a very convincing uh, press conference. That 
that was that was a doozy that there there have been a lot of like where are we what are we doing moments over the last seven years covering both news and sports here in this city and that certainly is near the top of the list of what is going on here it's, but it's that's wild. what's fun about the job yeah well it's it's fun because you know back then in the early time i was doing anything like the podcast wasn't coming out weekly it was coming out whenever it was there and it was whenever i had something that i thought was a little unique and my God, that guy, and you know, it's really bad because when I worked with the Mets in 2014, he was a really nice guy. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. he was one of the guys, he was one of my go-tos for information. And he was a really good guy to get along with. So to see him, his fall from grace, I kind of felt obligated to be there. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. And that's, you know, we, we, and I think I missed more than anything over the last you know, 18 months or so in the pandemic, the, the connection that you make with people in the locker room yeah. uh, and, and getting to know players because yes, there are statistics and, you know, we, we fixate on wins and losses and, you know, what a player's, you know, batting averages or is war and, and, and you forget that these are human beings and they have things going on and they have, you know, <laughs> they, they have, fights with friends and, and uh, they have kids that, that won't go to bed the night before a game or wake up in the middle of the night. You know, I mean, they have all have things going on in their lives and you lose that connection. I think a little bit when you're in the locker room and you get to talk to them and you understand that, you know, Hey, these are human beings that deal with the same things that you and I are dealing with. That was the, uh, the other name for the show fights with friends. That was going to be <laughs> the other, what we were going to call it. I think it would still work. I think that that <laughs> may get some attention. Oh, it depends on which episode you, you, you listen to. Um, you mentioned seven years. So you were in Chicago first. You get this no, opportunity. I was, in, I was in Cleveland. All right. Give me the give um, me the, the the rundown here. Yeah. So I, I was I bounced around a little bit. I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Um, I went to Boston University. Uh, I was um, I was in Bangor, Maine to start my on air career. Uh, but I was a producer at the ABC affiliate in Cleveland right out of college. Uh, well, I worked on my resume tape and all that stuff, but I, I initially wasn't sure if I wanted to go on air or not. And, um, I was a disaster in the control room, uh, trying to time a show as a producer uh, to the point where one of our anchors pulled me aside one day and he said, Hey man, listen, uh, you, you might want to work on that resume tape. So, because you can't time a show for anything. But, so, but TV um, was always your thing. You, you know, you came, we're similar in age. You yeah. came into the business at a time when TV was still prevalent, but sports radio had become a thing. Were you tempted to go into radio? They're such different formats and the skill set is so different. So I was kind of um, in college. I actually went to college wanting to be a sports writer. I wanted to write for Sports Illustrated. That was my dream. Um, I wasn't comfortable on camera or in front of a microphone, but I was very comfortable writing uh, and and covering sports. I knew I wanted to do that. Uh, and I love to write my freshman year at BU, our Dean in common one, 500 people in this auditorium. I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, including my, my now wife. Um, we, <laughs> we, we raise our hands when he says, how many of you want to be a writer in here? And, and half the room raises their hands, it's 1996. And he said, great, that's great. Find something else because newspapers <laughs> and magazines, as you know, it will not exist in 10 years, the way they do today. It's just not going to be a viable Know, future and they said that in 1996 yep. 1996 wow. i'm going to give brett baker the then dean of boston university's college of communication a shout out because he uh -huh. was prescient in that comment and that 
resonated with me uh, for whatever reason. And so I went over to the broadcast journalism wing and introduced myself to the professors and said, okay, how do I focus on this now? So, um, I, you know, radio is something I did in Boston um, when I was working at New England Sports Network and then uh, and got into the NBC family. I was also on the side doing stuff at WEE Radio, um, which is the all sports station there in Boston that uh, had been, um, you know, home of the Red Sox for, and the Celtics for a long, long time. So, Great joke, Castiglione. Uh, yeah, oh yes, Joe Castiglione, one of the such best. Such a good guy. Such a good such guy. A, such a just a gentleman. Yeah. So I, I did a little bit of radio as well. I think at the end of the day, I just I, I like where I'm at in terms of being able to use um, visuals and pictures to to kind of craft a story. Um, you know, the I've done radio play by play as well, and there's like radio play by play for basketball to me is like an art form. You know, and it still is. Like when it's done well, and Ed Cohen for for you know, the Knicks does a just an amazing job painting a picture on the radio. Ed Cohen, another veteran of this podcast. Ed, yes, that is right. Anytime I get a chance to be in the car and listening to him calling a Knicks game on the radio is is a good night, right? Because uh, it, it's just when it's done well, it's it's really, I think, one of the coolest things in this business. And um, an editorial but, note, I have to just touch on. First of all, Ed Cohen was episode 251. That is uh, right. Great. That was part of a month where we interviewed uh, all the busiest people in sports that were climbing the walls because there were no sports. So that was the month we had Kenny Albert, yeah. Ian Eagle, Chris Majkowski, like all these people who were like literally bouncing off the walls because they, you know, they do, uh, you know, 200 nights a year and they weren't doing it at the, this point. But Ed, right. I recently spoke to Ed and I, I just have to say this on this podcast. How the New York Knicks radio are not traveling these guys is oh, absurd. Yeah. Sure. And it's not just the Knicks, but I just spoke to Ed Cohen. So it's, it's fresh in my mind. You cannot yeah. use COVID as the excuse anymore. These people are vaccinated. Get them to these games. It is so cheap and so stupid. And I think off of that, I would add, as we go into the tunnel here, uh, <laughs> welcome to the life of the team. <laughs> We're in the battery tunnel now. Um, so I, I, I think, the job that a lot of those play-by-play guys have done, um, you know, the, the people in that industry covering games and because we did eventually have games come back. Right. And it was eerie. I still remember being at city field for, for the Mets first game of that 2020 with short no fans. Game. Yeah. With no fans. And I could hear the players, you know, talking to themselves and, and growing up in Cleveland, Ohio. I mean, it's, I joked with my dad, because I called him from that game and said, dad, you're never going to believe this. Like there's, there's nobody here. You could hear the players. And he just laughed. He said, well, I mean, that's kind of like what going to Indians games when we were, you know, when you were a kid, <laughs> the, the old municipal like, stadium, yeah, right? Stadium. There'd be a thousand people there. And they tell you, if you're a general admission upper deck seats, they, they usher you down to behind the dugout just to make it look full, you know? <laughs> uh, but, but those broadcasters being able to bring those games to us from their living rooms and their basements and, and their remote setups, it, 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 was, it was really incredible how they did that. Because that's yeah. not easy. Oh, those dulcet tones. The music is almost as good as this spot. We'll be back with more of John Chandler in just a second. But first, NFL, college football. There's so much stuff on the gridiron. Let's welcome in the head odds maker at Bovada, Patrick Morrow. Patrick, let's start with a game that could have national and championship implications, and that is Baylor hosting Oklahoma. What about the Sooners? 
Yeah, so looking at Oklahoma Baylor and Oklahoma, you know, they're undefeated this year, Seth, but they haven't looked pretty in doing it. Uh, only a three-point win over West Virginia. Tulane famously played them uh, very tight in week one. They only won by five in that one. They've changed QBs, but hey, listen, in the college football uh, playoff uh, landscape, just win, baby. Uh, they are 9-0. and They haven't looked great doing it, but if they can knock out Baylor this weekend, knock out Oklahoma State, uh, they will be in that national championship conversation. Looking at our futures board at Bavada, they are plus uh, 550, which makes them the fourth favorite, which indicates that if the college football playoff was decided today, even with their eight, number eight ranking, they might sneak in there. There's probably a really good chance that they'd sneak in there. As for the game itself on Saturday, they are five and a half point road favorites at Bavada right now over the Baylor Bears, who've looked pretty decent this season. Action very split on this one, about 50-50 on both sides at Bavada. Over-under, as you would expect uh, between two Big 12 teams like this, right up there, sitting at 63 right now with about 70% of all bets on the over in this one, Seth. One game that I uh, that I laugh at, we don't have to really cover this game, is uh, the Crimson Tide taking on New Mexico State, eight and one against one and eight. The line is literally <laughs> fifty-one and a half. I just want to know who took Alabama, because I would think after if they take a forty-five nothing lead, they don't take people out. Yeah, so games like these are incredibly tough to handicap, Seth, because uh, once you get up in not just double digits, but massive double digits, halfway to 100, Alabama is 51 and a half point favorites in this game of Bavada. And for, I'd say, 95% of point spreads that we are trying to price, uh, they are baked into this idea that teams are relatively trying their best from start to finish. Trying to project into any kind of handicapping model when a team is going to take the foot off the gas pedal is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And we see that. Alabama does this every year where they might dominate entirely for three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, they may just run, take the clock down all the way. They might even punt in scenarios where it'd be more advantageous to go for it. What about Ole Miss taking on Texas A&M in a key Big Ten matchup? Yeah, so Texas A&M, you know, really interesting season for them. I don't know that the hopes were high for them, but they've now beat Alabama. They've now beat Auburn. Uh, They will still need a little bit of help to represent the SEC West um, in the SEC championship game. Uh, They are one loss behind Alabama right now, but hey, Alabama will have Auburn at the end of the year. And Alabama hasn't looked uh, as good as they have in years past. So eh, maybe there's an opening for them there. But before they can even think about that, Seth, they have to get through Ole Miss this Sunday, or this Saturday, pardon me. Uh, it's going to be a tight one. Looking at the current line at Bavada, Texas A&M currently a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. Uh, they're seeing about 80% of all bets. Uh, the players like them. They're hot. They're good. All right, let's hit the NFL. And, of course, we have another Thursday night to talk about. The Baltimore Ravens take on the Tua-less Dolphins. Uh, Thursday night football, another intriguing matchup that you can watch <laughs> on twitch.tv slash Seth Everett. Patrick, who's going to win this game? And as far as I'm concerned, Seth, that's the only place you can watch Thursday only night football. Place. Forget Fox. Forget Amazon Prime. Just watch it on Twitch. But even though Twitch is owned by Amazon, so it's all the same. Just watch it on my Twitch channel. Say hello. Listen, listen Jeff Bezos is hurting these days. He needs every little bit uh, he can... Uh, used to uh, boost uh, boost up. But yeah, looking at this Thursday night uh, game, Seth, uh, and, and really just looking at the Ravens. So uh, we, were, we were talking about them uh, in-house because they are uh, 
for better or for worse, right up there in the AFC. But every single game I've watched them play this year, and I, I try not to dive too much into the eye test because there's a lot of lies and eyes. But uh, the Ravens are six and two. They, they, and this is this year has really broken well for them. Uh, you know, they've lucked out more often than they've shown that they are good. And here they are against the Ravens again, or sorry, against the Dolphins on a short week. Dolphins with a myriad of problems. And the Ravens, as a result, seven and a half point road favorites in this one. Looking at the position breakdown, and we are seeing, it's actually our biggest position of the week so far, with about 85% of bets so far on the Ravens. Not a lot of love for the Dolphins in this one. And the over-under currently sitting at 46 and a half at Bavada. Now let's go to Sunday. Seattle Seahawks get Russell Wilson back. Geno Smith has not embarrassed himself. Uh, he hasn't been great, but... He's held his own in a really, really tough spot. Uh, the Packers, without Aaron Rodgers, I believe. Really a bizarre set of circumstances last week when this all broke. Uh, this Seattle-Green Bay game is incredibly interesting because I can't recall the last time we've had a game with questions around two Pro Bowl quarterbacks going into the game. The line movement has been nuts. We've gone from, uh, looking at it now, the line is currently three and a half. Uh, Green Bay is the favorite at home in this one. It opened five and a half before we got the word that Russell Wilson uh, is actually able to play now for something that was supposed to uh, keep him away for something like six weeks or so. Uh, th this line is currently circled right now at Bavada, but there, which means there's lower limits. And that is, of course, because we don't really know how good Russell Wilson will going to be. But more importantly, we still don't know Aaron Rodgers' status for the game. We know we can, we think he can rejoin the team on Saturday. And that's it. I assume if he can rejoin the team, he'll play and that's great. And we're going to see a lot of line movement. So what, what I would say to betters is if you're expecting Rodgers to play on Sunday, you probably want to bet this sooner rather than later. Uh, if you like the Seahawks in this spot, though, uh, wait for the Rodgers news. You might be able to get two, three. Uh, you might even see that line get up to six or seven. So uh, it's a fascinating spot. It's a great spot that I always like to tell players. Uh, set your Adam Schefter Twitter notifications so that your phone lights up, whether it's your Adam Schefter or Chris Mortensen or Rappaport or whoever else. I don't want to, you know, leave anybody out there. There's a lot of reporters doing great work out there. But this is where you can really use social media and this instant level of notifications to perhaps beat the book in this spot. Interesting matchup. Packers currently three and a half point favorites. Uh, Seahawks so far taking about 75% of all bets at Bavada and the over under currently set to 50. Strange times indeed. And don't forget, the Bovada website will update as soon as you know Rogers is playing. Our thanks to Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bovada. Now let's go back to our conversation with WNBC Channel 4's own John Chandler. My favorite Cleveland joke um, <laughs> is when the Cavaliers won the championship the Indians, they were the Indians then until they start wearing that guardians, I'm calling them the Indians. Okay. The, the Indians had a home game that night. You had 1.5 million people in downtown Cleveland. You cannot go through downtown Cleveland and not walk by progressive field. Right. They had about 15,000 people that night. That's, that means that 1.45 million people walked by pro progressive field and said, nah. Yeah. So it's the Indians are, are uh, a tricky thing in Cleveland right now, because uh, I think a lot of fans and a lot of, I mean, my 
friends and family back home in Cleveland uh, express their frustration with the team by not going to the game because they're frustrated that the owner won't spend money. Uh, ownership won't spend money to get top level talent. Obviously Francisco Lindor is now in Queens because uh, the Indians wouldn't open up the, uh, the pocketbooks and, and try and keep him. And that has been an ongoing thing, whether it's Jim Tomey going to Philly, Manny Ramirez going to Boston, on and on and on, all the way through Francisco Lindor to the Mets. It's just been a recurring theme with the Indians. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think, um, I, I think that's just, it's, it's cyclical, right? Because fans don't show up to the games and, and ownership doesn't get more money. Right. And, and you've had good teams. You have a future hall of fame manager right now in, in Terry Francona. Um, but another great guy, another great another- guy who, luckily got turned down for a co-hosting job with me at MLB radio. And he then <laughs> managed the Red Sox instead. Uh, you would have gotten some good stories out of Tito though. His, I, I, Could I, you imagine? When, I mean, I covered him. I was at new England sports network. I started at Nesson the day after the Red Sox won the world series in 2007. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I relished, uh, time with Tito. Yeah. <laughs> um, Real before guy. Guy I should get on the show totally when he would kind of tell stories you know and, and just just an incredible guy um in your current gig um you're you're traveling literally while we're doing this and i should note um part of your assignments are news related yes. how much of a juggle is that and you know there's so many wonderful people there uh, tracy strahan's a wonderful wonderful human being um, she's always supported the podcast and retweeted it a bunch and stuff like that. Um, yep. there are so many other people that they have doing news. Is it just a, as news warrants, they send you out cause they know you're competent. How, how does that govern or do you have a certain amount of days you have to do? News? Uh, I think it's, you know, it, it, it started as a, let's see how this goes. Um, seven, almost eight years ago now in, in, in 2014, um, you know, they, I still remember the meeting sitting down with our, our general manager and news director, and I was hired to do sports and, and we were short staffed in terms of, of news. And there's new, I mean, even when you're full staffed in New York city, you're short staffed covering news. It is just a behemoth, right? Every day, um, there, there's just such a large area of news to cover and being the number one market in the country, we covered national news, uh, mm-hmm. on top of, you know, whatever's local. Um, so, so there was just, there was a need, a pressing need for it. And it was a lot of, you know, Hey, would you be willing to cover spot news? Um, and I, I looked at the news director at the time and I said, I I've never covered news before in my life. And she laughed. She said, well, you did, you did the Boston marathon for us, uh, which was, I was working at NBC Connecticut at the time. Um, the NBC mm-hmm. Oh no. When my wife and I, and my now soon to be nine-year-old son, uh, were at the finish line in 2013 when, um, those bombs went off. And, and yep. once we got to safety, my wife looked at me and she said, I think you better go to work. Yeah. And I've, that's what Lois NBC. Lane always says. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And so, you know, I found a truck and, and started doing hits and, and, you know, affiliates wanted hits and, and it just kind of one thing led to another and, and you're just, you're just covering the story. Um, so reporting is reporting, I guess, was, was my old news director's message to me. And she was, she was like, Hey, you did it before you're a journalist, you know, whether you're covering sports or news, I think, 
think you'll be fine at it. And um, what I didn't expect and what is what has happened to me is I've come to really enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I love covering sports, but but covering news is fascinating as well. And I think it's made me a better reporter all around uh, and a better journalist all around to be able to, you know, I've, I've literally covered every square foot of, of New York City in the last eight years and and other areas, New Jersey. And I, like I've just gotten to know the area so well. And I've met so many interesting people um, and, and covered some very tragic things and some very heartfelt things and things that have moved me and uh, covered a lot of great sports as well. So I think it's just kind of, I see it as, as like, if, if, if now they were to say, Hey, we just want to sports full time. I, I don't know that I would want to do that. I really enjoy doing news and telling stories and, um, Interesting. and, and being in the mix in all of that. So uh, I, I think it's, it's just a really comfortable blend for me. Uh, it kind of suits um, my interests as, as well as I think fills a need for the station. So, and, and since then, by the way, I think we've like doubled our, our number of report. Like we have a, a lot of really great, great, great reporters, um, you know, a great team to work Ida with. Siegel. Ida Siegel. That's another one. She's, uh, she's incredible. And her husband, Christian, I worked with at SNY. Yes. And he's yes. one of the best guys around too. Oh my gosh. He's, he's wonderful. We, we've had a lot of, a lot of good nights in spring training uh, covering the Mets. I will. I can tell a great Tracy Strahan story since she's not coming on the podcast, but um, I can, we can work is, on it. I mean, I can lean on Tracy a little bit and see if we can make something happen. She is a big Prince fan. Yes. And there oh, yeah. was a tour. There was a tour that he was on. It was the Welcome to America tour in 2011. And I tweeted something about how I was going to a concert at Madison Square Garden. She replied and said, I'll be there, too. We sat next to each other, uh, unbeknownst to us. Like we didn't know. And it was like, wow, what are the odds of that? Like, I thought we right. should play the lottery, like right then and there. I just, I, I, I remember that. Um, I'm reminded every day what a small, small world and a small, so small. world in it's this tiny. industry. It's crazy. You can play this podcast could be just Jewish geography, like all day. Like, <laughs> Who do you know and where do you know them from and all, all that stuff. There were two things I, I wanted to, to cover. Um, one is about the, the TV sports business uh, yeah. and the other is about New York sports. So let's just do the TV sports business and kind of wrap it up on sports. And that is number one, the, the, the rumor is is that sports keeps getting shorter and shorter. And the argument is not about, uh, you know, you, you guys have market research and, and you, you do all the work, but it's just now we live in this era of the smartphone. And, you know, I remember when I was with the Mets, we tried to take scoreboard segments out because if you needed to know what Cleveland and Detroit were doing, you knew already. Um, what about that argument of trying to make it compelling in a world where everyone has access to everything all the time. Yeah, I think, uh, I think this industry and this has been happening. Um, I, I, I mean, really since I got into it, it's been, it has felt like over the last 20 years now, it, it has been changing rapidly and every day, every year. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to, I don't want to say reinvent ourselves, but, but we're looking at, you know, I think the reality is we don't, you know, if you're looking for sports in the traditional sports cast, the, the way 
we all watched, uh, you know, I know growing up in Cleveland, my uncle was a sportscaster at the ABC affiliate there. He was the voice of the Browns and the Indians uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, you know, I, I, that was appointment television, you know, six and 11. I would watch my uncle, Nev Chandler. And, and you know, um, I know here in New York, everybody watched Marv Albert. Everybody watched Lynn Berman. It was a point sure. that you got your, your information from them. I can remember watching SportsCenter on a loop every morning at breakfast before running off to get to the school bus. And that was the first time you found out, you know, the Indians beat the Tigers or, mm. you know, the Red Sox beat the Yankees or, you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, that was the, the first time you saw that play that then you would be talking about at school that day. And, and that's completely changed now, right? We go out there at 11 o'clock most nights, assuming everyone has already seen the score. So if you just need to know the, the how, but, not the what. Yeah, I, I go back to, and it goes back to one of my journalism classes. One of my, my Jim Thistle was a, a longtime professor at BU. Before that, he was a, a news director at all the stations in Boston. And, and he has you know, dropped two professors at Boston yeah, University. This is interesting. I, it, you know, it's certainly just kind of organically has happened, right? By no means I'm trying to compare BU and Syracuse at all. Heaven forbid. No, heaven forbid. Then it would be fights with friends. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Since three quarters of our newsroom, I think graduated from Syracuse. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Um, We have a, we have a, like a, a, a standing agreement. Uh, on the weekends with our, our sports producer, Mike Borjewitz, that, you know, he's, he's always monitoring Syracuse to see what happens. If, you know, oh, Syracuse no. makes it into the show. We know Mike B's producing, <laughs> um, but no, That's we, you know, it's, it, his mantra was always the, so what test, you know, it has to pass the, so what test. And I think that really applies, you know, Yankees beat the Red Sox six to five. So what? Everybody knows that score. You got to give me the so what. What's the bigger picture of what's going on here with the Yankees? And so that could be. It tends to be more of the. I think the the day to day news and even the the inning to inning or pitch by pitch news. You know, somebody gets hurt, you want to have that injury update before you go on at eleven. Um, more so than than the final score and who went three for four and drove in four runs. And that is important. Don't get me wrong. That information is important, but. I think the bigger picture around it and adding context is something um, that is, that has become a little bit more important. And that's what we look for uh, in, in our sportscasts well, more today, or I think that's what should be in, in sportscasts more today. And, and then beyond that is storytelling is going out and doing feature reporting, going out and um, hearing from the that's, players that's, and hearing from yeah, the coaches. And that's, been, that's been tough, obviously over the last 18 months. And, and frankly, this is where, covering news has helped me a lot because covering sports has turned into essentially a beat within the newsroom um, more than it used to be its own isolated area of the newsroom. You know, you, you have more news related things that, that just happen to be in sports, especially during the pandemic. Um, You know, we, we all kind of, our, our roles changed during the pandemic, but we were still in newscasts covering sports. Um, a, A lot of it was just more of, you know, the, the kind of news related topics of it. Interesting. Um, you know, and one of the things you do very well, and I'm, I'm not kissing your ass. You're already on the show here. Uh, This is a true story. What you do really well is you tell bad news very nicely. 
like when when a guy's out for the year (laughs) guys out for the year and you're like your voice changes and you just go jacob de will not pitch again and you're like you're very matter of fact about it but you're calm and soothing and i just i crack up because i'm like i'm like what if it was a guy you hated (laughs) i always wonder that that's that's really interesting. That is fascinating that you notice that. And I don't know, maybe that becomes a product, a byproduct of, of in, in one of the hardest things for me, adjusting to doing news on a, on a oh, regular you basis. to be more serious, for sure. Was like I was, and I expressed that when they first said, you know, you're going to be, you know, I, I knew I was going to be going out to be covering homicides and, and right. Kidnappings and fires and, you know, spot news and, and, um, and, uh, you know, I I, re, I, re, I remember there was one story in particular that involved the, the, the just tragically the death of a child in the elevator shaft and and um, God I think it was in Queens uh, I I don't remember exactly where it was but anyways it was it was one of the where it was one of my early assignments and we're on the way and I'm just thinking like this, this story is heartbreaking and you don't want when you're on live television as a sportscaster, it's a different, you know, it's a different presentation. Of style, course. Right. It's you're, 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 you're up, you're animated. And I was just so worried that that would come across as, you know, Johnny sportscaster when you're doing hard news that, that, that matters in a different way that sports matters. Totally. I think what I found is it's just, you know, you have to be, you have to be human. And, and, and I think that's really the best approach to sports too. So I get excited when, like when you see me excited, it's because I'm genuinely excited for something. When you see me upset, um, it, it's because I'm genuinely like, I don't fake it when I'm on the camera. But what you do is you can tell that even though I haven't watched the Knicks, like, I don't know what the Knicks are doing, you know, and you, what, what the one sentence that your takeaway is, if that's all you're giving me, that's what I need to know. So, and I think that's um, a product of, of, we have, so we obviously have less time than we used to, right? Oh, cool. uh, Len Berman did sport. And, and a lot of that is, is there's more commercials packed within a newscast. There's just simply more to cover in a newscast. And there's also been, I think, pretty obviously over the last 10, 15, 20 years, a, a de-emphasis in, in local sports within that sportscast window. But I, I think, if you looked within the actual news window and we've added newscasts over the years that I've been here, um, we're, we're adding time in other parts of the newscast to cover sports. Um, you know, we, <laughs> I mean, we end up in, in just about every show every day doing something sports related on top of the six and 11 newscasts every day. So it's just kind of spread out a little bit more, but you have that short window and you have to assume that, that, your, your viewers are just kind of the casual sports fan. That's not obsessive. And, um, and that you, you kind of have to clue them in a little bit as to what's going on and add that context. Right. Yeah, totally. And there's a tone, you know, hearing you talk about news just reminds me of when I was a freshman at, at, at school. Okay. Yes. It was at Syracuse just because you said Boston. Um, I remember originally wanting to get into political talk. I thought political talk was really intelligent, really interesting. And I learned about the paying of the dues. And Dan Mm. Rather's story fascinated me. Dan Rather is a guy who was a great reporter in his day in the 1960s. He would go off and cover parades and he would cover, you know, hurricanes and whatever he was he was covering. 
And he just happened to be in Dallas in 1963 when Kennedy gets shot and he does a great job, but I don't want to be that guy. Like I didn't want to be the guy who was known for something awful. And so sports was this avenue of being able to do it because people want to see you, not because they're compelled to see you. And I think there's a healthy mix. And that's why I like that you're dabbling uh, in news as well. I, I you know, I, I find the, the, the whole thing uh, fascinating because, you know, covering fires and kidnappings and a kid falling down an elevator shaft, like those things are heart wrenching. And so to be somebody that's comforting on the air is a skill that's really hard to teach. Yeah. And that's something that um, I think everybody that, that knows me. um, Okay. So I I mean, (laughs) we'll get, we'll get real honest. Right. And I'm going to tell, like, I cry the the drop of, you know, like I'm a very emotional person. So, and, and we do kind of have a, um, running joke is not the right word for it um, because of the heaviness of it, but we, we, it's, it's understood everywhere I've worked. It's been understood that, that I write the obituaries, (laughs) Uh, you know, when something happens, I, it it always seems to happen on my, on my shift. And, uh, and, and I take great pride in that um, because that's someone's, that's someone's life. That's someone's story. Um, that ultimately you want to like, if I have 30 seconds to write, uh, you know, an, an obit on someone in sports dying, whether it's like, you know, Bobby Bowden the other day, um, you know, Henry Aaron died and I was, I was, um, you know, I was on the clock for that. Um, Tom Seaver. I remember we, we got word that Tom Seaver had passed, um, right right before the, we had our 11 o'clock newscast set and, and then at nine o'clock, <laughs> everything changed right. and we scramble. weren't prepared. Right. And our sports producer that night, Mike Hilsenrath did, did an amazing job. Uh, Hilsey's a Mets fan and he helped me. Um, I, I don't even, I can't even explain how much he helped me. The gravity um, of who Tom uh, Seaver was. Well, yeah. understand. And I, when I was a kid as an Indians fan, uh, the Indians were terrible. So I, I rooted for the Mets when I was a kid. Um, mm. I loved the Mets. So I knew and I understood, but I was a little bit nervous going out there and trying to convey that because I'm not from here. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the day, I, I, that makes me work a little bit harder to try and understand everybody who is from here and, and what, what people mean to, to fans here, what someone like Tom Seaver means sure. to, to a Mets fan here. And so, um, you know, I, I just, I, I sink a lot of my emotion into stories like that. If it's an obituary, if it's a, a news story and someone is seriously injured or dies, or if it's a horrific scene, like, you know, I, I just can't help it. It's who I am. I get, a, you know, I get wrapped into it emotionally and, and maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. You have to kind of, as a reporter, be able to ask the tough questions and separate yourself from the emotion of it. But I think at the end of the day, if, if I'm, the day that I'm jaded and careless and, 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 you know, just, Oh, well, it's another, another horrifying, whatever lunch today. That's not me. (laughs) You know, I get out. Yeah, no, I, I, I I applaud that. Um, And this is kind of how I wanted to transition to just the New York sports conversation. And that is, do you guys have like a, a pecking order 
of how you choose to cover teams when and and and, and it, it's more scientific than that because yeah. 20 years ago i would have said yankees first above all and now the nfl numbers are so much higher than every other sport the nba numbers trend on social media all the time um yeah. do you guys have a stead and fast rule because I would imagine like in April now, obviously in July, baseball is the only thing going on. That's what you're going to show your highlights of. But just this idea that you guys are looking at how these sports are doing as sports and say what should be. Because, you know, the news demographic is older. So I would think that what's trending on social media isn't always your lead. Yes, that, I think that's a great point. This is a great question. I love this because um, it's something that we, we wrestle with every day. We have 11 pro teams and yeah. then all of these colleges to cover in New York. It is unlike anything. And I love it. It's it's there's like you could do a seven minute sports cast every day, every day. <laughs> Logistically, I mean, you used to. I mean, that's that's what what Len Berman and, and Marv Albert used to get for time. And um, and and you you'd have no trouble filling it. Um, you know, I think, and, and everyone on, on Twitter who, who Mets fans in particular tweet at me a lot about when the Mets come second in the rundown ahead of the, oh, Yankees, yeah. you know, the Yankees are first, yep. you know, Mets fans, let me know. They let me know. You had uh, to do the their day, dumb game in Anaheim when you right? know, we played the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I get it. There, there's, you know, or, or there's, there's one guy, bless his heart, who was, he went so far as to tell me how many seconds I was spending more on the Yankees per highlight versus the <laughs> Mets highlight. And, you know, he literally had a breakdown. And I applaud him for his research. I thought that was fantastic. And, and, and it's a tricky balance. And it's something that we talk about a lot. Uh, you know, hey, have we, have we been leading Yankees a lot? Because maybe we should switch it up a little bit. I think at the end of the day, we let the news dictate it. Uh, and by that, I don't mean like our news department. I think we we, no, we no, let no. the but news. If the of, Yankees have a dramatic the win the and the yes. Mets have a three nothing loss. You know, it's there's Absolutely. there's a difference. There's a difference. And yeah. if if uh, if the Yankees have a big storyline going on with them, um, and and for the Mets, it's uh, you know another just another game. Fine. Or flip that, and if if it's the Mets, and obviously you know the the thumbs down drama there's no shortage of drama ever with the Mets and and I know Mets fans think sometimes that I'm being over or, or all of us are being overly negative towards the team uh we just report what it is you know sometimes that's that's the storyline and you, and you totally. can't help it and, and sometimes we lead with that because of that um totally. so we we kind of have to weigh like what's everyone talking about what feels like the biggest story and then you know we try to pay attention specifically to how much time we're, we're dedicating to the yankees versus the mets when all three hockey teams are playing on a given night you know mm -hmm. i like i'm 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 very um very uh, you know cognizant oh, you of, know of you that. put the devil's and, last every goddamn time i know don't worry <laughs> about it martin brodeur has to come out of retirement very, just to get on your top three devils i i like Jack Hughes, I could have, I could have oh, shown that goal that he, yeah. Jack Hughes, um, a veteran yeah. of this podcast. He has been we had on Nico the show. Hishier, one of my favorite shows on Sports Final. We had Nico Hishier in studio, um, you know, the day after he was drafted and uh, took him for a tour of, of the Saturday Night Live set and everything throughout the building. And, and um, that's awesome. You know, 
I love the Devils. Uh, I love the Islanders. I love the Jack Rangers. Jack Hughes, by the way, was episode 205 for those of you who want to check out the iTunes feed. Very good. I missed Very that cool. one. I'm going to have to go check that yeah. one out. He's a, a um, phenomenal talent. How weird is it that New York teams have not won in a decade? And is that a big deal? You know, you think about it in, in Milwaukee, and that's a big thing. In Cleveland, everyone talks about how long it's been since the Indians have won. Yeah. Cleveland race, this thing, the Browns. Like, there's so much talk about it in other cities. But in New York, there's so much going on. You know, my argument of New York is why they shouldn't get all-star games is that the all-star game could be happening in Yankee Stadium. And on Fifth Avenue, nobody knows. It's, it, it's such a big place. Does it matter that New York sports teams haven't won a championship? And is there a malaise in the city because of it? I think, yes, first of all, it, it absolutely matters because, uh, yes, there, you, and, and your analogy is absolutely true. I would even say when I first started here, um, one of my first assignments was the Super Bowl that we had here. And we're, we're pulling into Times Square right now for, for, for a story not far from where I was doing live shots in Times Square in the build up to the Super Bowl. And you could literally walk a block over. And Not you that. had no idea, you know, people, <laughs> we went, we went to go interview people that day about, you know, Hey, what do you think about the Super Bowl? Oh. you know, here in New York? And aren't you excited? And I remember thinking, Oh, this would be like shooting fish in a barrel. Easy. Right. <laughs> and we walked a block over and people were like, Oh, whatever. Super Bowl. Oh, I don't care. It's fine. I didn't even realize. So it wasn't even in New York, it was in New Jersey. So and it was in New Jersey. Exactly. Um, but I think it matters because it matters to, you know, to the fans who care so much about it. And it, it matters to me. I want to cover a winner at the end of the day. Like, I, I, you know, I, I, I guess I got sick of it in Boston um, because there was championship parades every other year. Right. There's no such thing as well, a long suffering Red Sox fan. No, that's, that's a misnomer. now. That doesn't exist anymore. Um, unless you talk to my, my eight year old son, who is a very upset that the Red Sox didn't get to the world series this year. This year? He said, it's, he said, it's been, it's been too long since it's been so long, daddy, since the Red Sox won the world series. And uh, I told him he was grounded and, you know, took away his <laughs> spoiled, nice. spoiled Boston sports fan. That's what I'm raising. Yeah. In fairness though, he was born in Boston. There's nothing I could do about it. So, yeah, he's, but he, I, he but I think, it. you know, I, I just, you see what winning does to a fan base and, and, you just, you want that. You want to be around that. You want to cover teams that win. It's infinitely more enjoyable than covering teams that lose. I'm someone that covered the Cleveland Browns for a long, long, long time uh, through the, you know, the early aughts and uh, the 17,000 quarterbacks that we had <laughs> during yeah. that time. It was not fun. It was not enjoyable. Um, so I, I, would, I, I don't know. I, 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 you know, part of me thinks that, you know, if they're close, if they don't win, it's more interesting. You know, why did yes. the Islanders not win the, the what I what I have trouble with is the no hoper. Like, don't tell me about the New York Giants. Don't, just don't even bother. Like, they're not going anywhere. The basketball yeah. teams are compelling, but they do they have to win? Because if they don't, that's just as interesting. It's the yes. it, it's the it's the apathy that you want to avoid. It's the it's just pure so misery. Someone once told me when I was first getting into the business, and this still rings true, you know, <laughs> winning makes for more enjoyable locker rooms to cover. Losing makes for better copy. 
Right, right, exactly. Right, like you can you you can infinitely write more interesting things about losing than you can winning because it just the, all the offshoots of it of what went wrong, why did it go wrong, how miserable is the fan base, and you know just piling on the misery yeah. and bringing up all the old you know like as a Cleveland sports fan, every time one of our teams, whether it was the Browns, the Indians, the Cavs, were in a championship, uh, you know, moment or in a in a game to decide if they go to the championship whether it's the AFC championship game uh back in the 80s or or you know those Cavs teams that got close against Golden State the Indians in the World Series like I knew that every network had a, a, a what we call a melt tape right a reel of of the worst moments in Cleveland sports ready to just roll out there at any point during the broadcast of of Ernest Biner fumbling of John Elway's drive past us in the AFC championship oh, game yeah, sure. of Michael Jordan's shot of Jose Mesa and, you know, imploding in, in the, the, you know, finals pitches of the 97 oh, world series in, in the ninth inning. And it, yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, there, there's, there's more to write about when teams lose, but it's just more enjoyable to cover when teams win at the end of the day. I, uh, uh Jose Mesa is a great, great interview. He, uh, I remember I had him when uh, he was with the Mariners, <laughs> And he gave up a game-winning hit or a game-winning yeah. home run. And I said, you want to talk about the home run? And he said, I tell you what, man, I hit it. I throw it as hard as I can. They hit it, they hit it. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> now, I don't know that I could be in the same room with Jose Mesa doing an interview. I got to be honest. And oh, this is where, so funny. Like, this is so where I'm glad funny. I'm, I'm – oh, he's – right. But, but I still hold this – like, working in the business, I'm, I'm less of a fan now and, and more of – and I think that's why I'm – I'm able to just objectively cover New York sports across the board because, because I, I, I don't dislike any of the teams. I'm not passionate about one team more than another because I didn't grow up here. Um, it was hard for me to cover the teams in Cleveland because, oh, sure. you know, because just because that's what I, that's what I grew up with. And to the point where I once turned down, I was working for the ABC station in Cleveland and we were the, the uh, affiliated station of the pro football hall of fame. We would do a hall of fame special every year. And, um, the hall of famers would, we would do sit down interviews with them every year. And that led to some really cool moments. Got to sit down sure. with Joe Montana, uh, like a, a lot of really cool players. So my news director wanted to have me sit down with John Elway the year that he was getting inducted. And I said, no, I can't do it. I can't be in the same room as John Elway and, and full disclosure now, like I, I have a lot of respect for John Elway as a player, as a person, but at that moment in time, I was not ready <laughs> to, to be in the same room with him because he ruined my childhood. Like he absolutely ruined my childhood. Yeah, and I was yeah. afraid of what I might be able to say yeah. uh, in, in the same room with him. So I have a great John Elway story, but I've told it on the podcast and I know you have to run. I have a funnier Jose Mesa story. And I heard this from Lou Pinella, who's been on this podcast. When Mesa was a closer in Seattle, they went to Cleveland. And this was right after the 97 series. And he was feeling a lot of pressure. He comes out and he walks the first batter. The crowd, this is when that park was sold out every game, if you remember yep. back then. And the crowd is heckling him. And Stan Williams, the late Stan Williams, comes out to the mound and says, Jose, I'm going to kiss you. And he goes, no, you're not going to do that. And he goes, I'm going to kiss you right here on the lips. And he says, you're not going to do that. (laughs) 
And he says, I'm telling you right now, I am grabbing you. I am going to kiss you on the lips right here in front of all these people. And he goes, get the hell out of you. are not going to do that. And he goes, throw strikes. <laughs> and that was it. See, and that's what I love about, you know, and I, I miss that. I just desperately look forward to the time when we can get back into locker rooms and, and really start talking to yeah. players and, and hearing those stories because, because those things and, and being able to bring that stuff to, to, Totally. to the fans through reporting um that totally. that's that's what i tried that's what i love about this is getting that that peel the curtain back inside look real quick before we wrap up um how has social media helped hurt is it in your way is it is it a toxic cesspool like it is for everyone else um yes. you know i i always wonder this like do you do they encourage it do they make you do it how does it work with social media and your gig? Um, it's, it is definitely encouraged. Um, it is not a strength of mine uh, the way it is, I think, other people. Um, I, I don't know if that's a product of me getting old <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or not or what. I, you know, I, I just don't, I just don't, uh, I don't utilize it the way I probably should. I find that I don't have time a lot of times to utilize it the way that I should. Um, there's, there's also a, like, I don't want to be out there tweeting, you know, the, the minutia of a game that I'm covering. Right. Um, so every time someone does something into the game, I don't know that people want to hear from me, my reaction to, you know, mm. Oh, you know, the jets got a first down on a swing pass. <laughs> like nobody wants it. Nobody's following nobody you for that. Right. Yeah. No one's Nobody's following. following right. Right. So you kind of have to, with social media, know what you're there for and you look for moments. And, um, I, you know, I guess the, the best example I can give you of that is uh, I was at the Knicks game, the Knicks playoff game uh, that Zach Wilson was at shortly uh-huh. after the Jets had drafted him and uh-huh. Jets put him up on the on the monitor or the, the Knicks, Knicks put him up yeah. on the garden monitor and, and he's, you know, waiting. And so I took a quick video of that, threw it up on social media and because the place went nuts for Zach Wilson and said, I don't even remember what I tweeted, but it was something like, I guess, you know, I guess he already feels at home here or what, I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden it's like tens of thousands of retweets. Like it just, I still get people retweeting that and liking it, uh, including Zach Wilson. And so, you know, you just, you, every now and then you find a tweet that, hits at the right time in the right moment and the right amount of people are looking for it. And, and there it goes. Um, I got another one like that was, I, I, I was at Yankee spring training when John Carlos Stanton had, had first arrived and we hadn't seen Stanton in his uniform yet in his Yankees uniform and everybody kind of been itching for it. And um, we were in the, the, you know, outside of the clubhouse down there in Tampa. And I, it was just, me and a security guard kind of looked over to me and he said, I think Stanton's coming. And, you know, we, I, I didn't have a crew with me cause we, we were shooting other stuff at actual spring training. And I just grabbed my phone and, and got a shot of um, Stanton rounding the corner in his pinstripes for the first time, walking to take pictures, uh, you know, for the, for the Yankees media team. And, and that was a moment that just kind of blew up on social media. Wow. Um, so I, I guess you, you look for stuff like that versus well, every time uh, I ask if, that there's, and it's there's a different answer. Every time you yeah. ask it, it's a totally different answer. Well, cause it means different things to different people. Um, 
you know, I, the way my, and the way our jobs are constructed are different, right? So the way my job is constructed and my, my daily responsibilities is different from a beat writer who's covering Jets practice every day and sees things differently than, than a lot of us and reports things differently than a lot of us, you know, they, in, in that context, if I'm, if I'm following, you know, uh, DJ Vianney or, or Christian Winfield or, or and any one of those guys covering a specific team's beat, um, you know, you, you're looking for, cause you know, those guys are at practice every day or, or at a game. You're looking for that, that minutia information coming out. Totally. But uh, for, for me, a lot of times I'm not at the games. I'm sitting at my desk in front of five monitors and, and, and more of the reporting that we do is hopping on the, the, you know, the, the one thing about the pandemic is it has made zoom, yeah. you know, these, it, it, the team's press conferences and, and availability in some ways is, is easier um, because you don't have to drive to a location to get that press conference. You can, totally. you can zoom in, yeah. but everything's different. And then social media is also, it can be a, it can every now and then it's an amazing place. Uh, it is mostly just a, a place just that a, I try to avoid. Just a nightmare. Just a, it has <laughs> really become a nightmare. Yeah. Just a and, toxic and it's also not representative, I think of, of, of everything. I try to remember that, you know, that yeah, you got to step back from social media because, because nine out of 10 people in my family are not on social media all wow. the time. Wow, Thanksgiving must be so different for you. Um, yeah, but it's that one who's the troublemaker. That's the thing. <laughs> That's the problem. That's the problem. How can people find you? They're listening to this podcast. We have a lot of uh, listeners outside of New York who don't know who you are. Um, how can people find you online? Uh, well, you get so it's at John Chandler NBC uh, for Twitter, for Instagram, um, Facebook. You better I stay guess. at NBC for a long time, or else that handle is going to sound real. It's going to, it's going to, right? I feel like I feel like I found a good home here. I don't think I'm going anywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry for all you Mets and Islanders fans. I don't think I respect Devils fans. Some guy on Twitter is like, oh, God damn it. No, no. And I love all teams equally. I love them all equally. Um, You can always watch our newscasts as well. We stream them, NBCNewYork.com. There's a live stream of uh, every show. Right on. Yeah, you're on on my Hulu. It's the only, literally, it's the only thing we watch live uh, is, is you guys. That's oh, awesome. Darlene That's Rodriguez great. in the morning and you guys. Of course. At night. Yep. The, uh, I love working anytime I get a chance to work today in New York. Uh, and it, it, I sometimes do. It's always fun to work with Darlene. Very cool. Well, John, I know you're busy today and I really appreciate you doing this. I hope you had as much fun as we had having you on here and uh, make sure that you stay in touch and let's uh, just rub it in Bruce Beck's face that you came on first. I love it. Oh, that. no. For Bubba, I'm sorry. <laughs> We'll do another one. I'll get Bubba and I will come on together. How about that? There we go. There we go. That is John Chandler from NBC, WNBC in New York City. Thanks so much for to John for coming on. Thanks to all our sponsors. And thank you for listening. We appreciate it. We will see you next Wednesday with another episode of Sports with Friends. See ya. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go And then you'll know For me to stay I got to be me You'll never be in doubt That's what it's all about You can't take me for granted And smile Come on, please I'm gone
by phone Because I promise I'll be gone for a while 